be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. Correction! Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, and it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, she's a woman, and for the people who love them. Every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life while we're having delicious cups of iced coffee And then we invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today, Caitlin. Hello, Caitlin. How are you? Hello. I'm very good. It's a billion and a half degrees out there Uh, today. It really, really is. And if you know me, you know I hate heat. She hates the heat. She loves the winter. Yeah, I hate the summer. Yes, she does. She doesn't want to go to the beach. Hot crowded situations. Yep. I hate everything about being sweaty. She hates it. So I'm I'm miserable. But, but. <laughs> it does give me an excuse to have a lot of iced coffee, which I love. Which you is know? a positive thing. Yeah. And uh, summer always gives us an excuse to celebrate Pride. And we just had a very busy Pride. Did we not, Caitlin? We had a really busy Pride. For all those of you who were not watching on our television channel called M-I-Z <laughs> underscore Cracker on Instagram, we did so much. Um, what was your favorite thing that we did for Pride? I know that it was overwhelming for us, but what was the thing that you were like, this brought me joy? We did a video with Stella Artois. We did a Polaroid project. I got to go to San Antonio and Grand Rapids. You got to have a head cold. I mean, the Stella video was fun just because we got to um, get some of our favorite people together in one room and yeah. hang out for a day, essentially, yeah. and eat food. That was a great way for us to gather people from, as we like to say, the phrase, all walks of life, to come yeah. together and enjoy. And we got to work with Marina again, yeah. who... I think if we had a million dollars, we would just make videos with all the time because she's such a joy to work with. We would be like, we would have her follow us around, essentially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Everybody, for those of you who don't know, Marina is the editor and videographer who made our Stella Artois video on Instagram and on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, she just makes everything look so cute and bright and happy. And that's our brand. So we love that. Yeah. And you loved your Polaroid collab. I did love my yeah. Polaroid collab. We talked. That was a, bit, a dream yeah, of yours. We talked about it a little bit last time, but I'll just say again that it was so fun to see it roll out and to see how people responded to it because yeah. a lot of the people that were in it were really excited to yeah. see that they got shared through Polaroid. Yeah, a lot of people reshared their photos and they were like, oh my goodness, this is a this is a moment. I'm on the Polaroid Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> and our dear Sarah Silverman from Funny Face Bakery, who has been on this podcast, was featured in there. She's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be my new Hinge photo. <laughs> So we had a lot of wonderful moments over Pride. And now, like, we value honesty above all else here at this podcast. So I will say that we are just exhausted after the experience. Oh, yeah. But 
I have to say also that we just did have a wonderful, wonderful time creating all those projects. My so. body gave out at the end. Yeah, I got you're... a horrible cold and I was in bed for like the Pride weekend. Yeah. And <laughs> I went I went to Grand Rapids where I had a wonderful time at Hamburger Mary's and got caught in a storm, got mm-hmm. soaked to the skin. And then I went to like the opposite. I went to San Antonio, Texas, where it was just... Six billion degrees in the shade, and had a really great time doing a fundraiser for queer organizations there. So I, it's been it's been a great time, and it was the first time that we got to do anything in forever. So yeah, here's to Pride, and we're hoping that the Pride spirit continues, and that everything continues opening up, so that we can continue enjoying our wonderful new life, Vita Nova. Vita Nova is Latin for new life. Oh, <laughs> just a random thing you yeah. know. Anyway. Enough about that, because we have talked about Pride every week for like four weeks. Now it is time for one of my favorite parts of the podcast. It's time for the good news. I want to dive right into our serious groundbreaking interview, but first I have a little treat for you. Every week we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. Now I'm going to double down on it this week. Torn from the headlines, Caitlin. (laughs) The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week our news is all about being beautiful at any time in your life. Okay, I don't know this story. I'm yeah. about to be surprised. So I came across these beautiful images on the BBC that really surprised me. I live in a world where photography usually means like muscle dudes posing for coffee books, right? Yeah, or like a random guy that just picked up a camera and is like, photography, I'm a, a photographer. I'm a photographer. <laughs> First of all, leave me alone. <laughs> Anyway, these photographs that I ran into through the BBC were so different. They are images of people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s becoming one with nature in a way that's almost mythical. You have an old man sleeping in a layer of ice as if it's a blanket, an old woman with a cape of beach grass, an old woman with a crown of seagrass, and all of them look so powerful as if they were like part of the landscape. And they're these beautiful portraits that have older models dressed in like props from the landscape. So like grass or seaweed or all of that. And they're really amazing. So according to the BBC, this is all part of something called Eyes as Big as Plates, an ongoing photographic project and book series by the Scandinavian artists Rita Ikonen and Carolyn Hjorth. Apparently, it pays tribute to Norwegian folklore. It references a story about a large-eyed dog, Caitlin. Oh my goodness. Who lives beneath a bridge. And it reimagines older people as powerful figures from lore and legend. I mean, you know I love this because I love the elderly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just love them. And I think um, ageism is a real thing. Yeah. You and know? I- and I feel like they deserve a nice, like, a portrait series with a spotlight on them and to be, like, revered and seen as powerful, you know? Yeah. Like, let, let me dig in here and see if I can find eyesasbiggasplates.com. Okay, we're going to have a look at these. Oh, my goodness. So here's a, a nice grandma, Aww. like, wrapped in the landscape. She has bushes wrapped all around her so that she looks like she's part of the forest. Look at this. They're great. Oh, my gosh. They're so beautiful. Yeah. They're so striking. striking. Oh, this one killed me. Oh, my goodness. So what we're looking at right now is a picture of Agnes who's wearing a, looks like a faux fur coat, and she has uh, brambles from the seashore 
like woven into a wreath around her head and she has the most striking blue eyes. Let's talk a little bit about her. This woman is named Agnes. All of the people in the series have a great story behind them. Mm-hmm. Agnes, who resembles a wind goddess in her photo, turns out to be a Norwegian in her 90s who made her first parachute jump at age 85. Wow. And her second was a 90th birthday present. So she said floating through the air was pure joy. She told the artist this story, so they all decided she'd dress as the fabled North Wind. Yeah, so, and, and the way the branches are, it looks like almost like hair being blown in the wind. Yep. So you can just go to eyesasbigasplates.com if you want to see these. They're such beautiful images, and I love them because I think we live in a world where we place all our ideas of power and beauty with young people and what's current. And here are these images that not only celebrate the beauty of older people and their experiences, but also celebrate ancient stories. The photographs seem to imply that our elders have a wisdom and a power that makes them more than one with this world. And... Maybe that's a very romantic idea, but I think it's a beautiful one. I know, and I totally, I mean, I know that there is that idea of, like, cranky old people, but I feel like there's also the idea that, like, listen to your elders because they know better and they know what they're talking about, and I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, my mom was right, or my grandpa was right, or, you know what I mean? I'm like, they really did know better than me. (laughs) The true measure is that the older we get, the more you agree with Emily Gilmore on Uh, Gilmore Girls, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like, Lorelai, calm down. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Emily was right. <laughs> I want us to have someone over 65 or something on our yeah. podcast one day, but we haven't, yeah. found, haven't found the right fit. So if you guys, any of you have like a very interesting grandma. Yeah, we would let love. Let us know. We would yeah. love to talk to her. Anyway, go check it out at eyesasbigasplates.com. I think you're going to love what you see. Uh, this made me really happy, and I think it'll make you really happy too. But it's time for us to take a little break. Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much, we're going to read some of our favorite reviews at the end of the show. But now, it's time for our little interview. And Caitlin, you selected our guest for this week, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you thought of her, because... It's such an obvious choice for us, but I wonder what made you think of it. I think, honestly, either she came up or maybe your friend Desiree came up on my Instagram feed. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think we've had Burlesque on our podcast yet. And we have definitely like put our toes in that world. We know a lot of... Or less people. Uh, yeah. And then I thought, wait, I remember Pearl Noir is one of the ultimate ones that basically every burlesque dancer in New York says they... Like, look at her as, like, a mother figure and right. we're really inspired by her. And I was like, she would be great. And I know we uh, that you know her really personally. Yep. And then when looking at her website, I saw that she does so many other cool things besides yeah. just burlesque. She's also really into, like, mentorship and spirituality stuff. So I thought she'd yep. be a really, really interesting one. I think she is a perfect fit for us. And I can't believe that I didn't think of it before. Pearl Noir is just one of those names... 
I knew of her before I met her because mm-hmm. every burlesque dancer that we and burlesque dancers and drag queens get paired together a lot. Yeah. So every burlesque dancer would be like, "Oh, you know, if you really want to see a great performer, see Pearl Noir." Mm-hmm. So. Or they would say, "Oh, I started because I saw Pearl Noir, and then I was like, I can do this. I want to. I'm so inspired. Now I want to do burlesque." Yeah, and we'll get into it in the interview a little bit, but I think. What I love about her so much is that if you look at her house and the people that she's inspired, they are women of all different ages, shapes, sizes, and backgrounds. And she is a mother to people that wanted to feel beautiful, and she helped them find their beauty. So I think she's perfect for us today. So let's dive in. All right, everybody. According to 21st Century Burlesque, Pearl Noir danced on stages from the Teatro Circo in Madrid to the Sydney Opera House, brought home Best Debut at the Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2008, and toured with Dita Von Teese's Strip Strip Hooray in both iterations. But more importantly, she's family. She's performed with me many times, and I have to say, her style is nothing short of mesmerizing. So, Pearl Noir, where are you? How are you? What are you doing? I'm so excited. Let me just say that I am in Brooklyn. I'm in Bed-Stuy. I'm living my best life. I just put some flowers and oils and money and yellow candles on my altar for Oshun. And I am sitting here just fantasizing about the luxury of my life and the gifts that I've been chosen by the goddesses to bestow out here in the world. You know, we've got our burlesque shows. We've got our healing through seduction membership. We've, we've got some VIP experiences going on soon. She's just living. She's turning 42 on Monday. She is living her best life. That's what's going on. Oh my God, that is the best introduction. For those of you who don't know Pearl Noir, that is her. She is full of life at all times. Now, Pearl, can you tell me a little bit more about Oshun? Because I'm very curious. So Oshun is an African deity. And, you know, a lot of people believe in, you know, Greek mythology and we know about deities, but I think a lot of people don't know much about African deities. Um, But they're starting to learn more thanks to pop stars like Beyonce, who always references her in her videos. And so um, Oshun is this powerful deity of the rivers. Um, She's also a powerful deity of drums and fertility. And, And I have always been drawn to her. And one of the reasons why I feel so very drawn to her is because um, this goddess helped me understand the importance of your duality. So a lot of times when we call women goddesses or we think about goddesses, a lot of times people are just thinking about what that woman can do for them and how that woman inspires them. But a lot of times people refuse to understand that women and deities and goddesses, they were complex beings. And so Oshun is known, it is known that if you give her your offerings, if you respect her, she will bestow luxuries upon you. If you want a child, she will, you know, bestow that to you. But if you cross her as her (laughs) lovers did, there's the wrath. And, And that's what I love. I love encouraging myself and other women in particular to honor the duality 
and honor the fact that, yes, you can be as sweet as you can be. But when someone crosses you or someone dishonors you, you have the right to implement those boundaries and understand that forgiveness doesn't mean access. Wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) Forgiveness doesn't mean access. I have to tell you that if there was anything that I needed to hear at this point in my life right now, it is that. So I feel like you're so full of wisdom, Pearl. And I just want to ask you, um, this past year has been so terrible for so many live performers. And I'm curious about what you did during these horrible months. In the months of COVID, what did you do to maintain your work and stay sane during those times? So what I did was allow myself as a black woman, as a goddess, I allowed myself to sit down. I allowed myself to believe that scarcity is an illusion. I allowed myself, you know, and I will say I had an advantage that a lot of people did not have. Um, Being the visionary that I am, I started my online business in 2014. So I also was already accustomed to doing things online. But to my students and like my burlesque children, I was trying to encourage them to see that there was actually beauty for us entertainers, us, you know, you know, of course, you've got people, you know, like our Beyonce's, our Jay-Z's, you know, our Mick Jaggers. They've had the luxury of securing their legacy with videos, with branding opportunities. And so what I did to keep myself sane during that time was teach other people that now is the time for burlesque, for drag, for cabaret. Yes, being on stage live is amazing. But now we have the opportunity to generate as much income as our mainstream counterparts. Now we have the opportunity to secure our legacy through digital archives like our mainstream counterparts. So I kept myself saying by honoring the evolution, the potential of evolution through focusing on not performing live or teaching live, but keeping everything online and encouraging others to do the same. And I rested. And I also kept myself sane by honoring the beautiful life that I have. Even even in this quarantine, you know, I also reminded myself that we weren't actually in a real quarantine. See, a real quarantine, people, is when you cannot leave a bubble. You know, I reminded myself that there were children in cages, children still in cages while we were all still partying up. So (laughs) I kept myself sane by reminding myself of the actual facts and, you know, encouraging others to do the same. Having gratitude for everything that you have, that is Mm -hmm. so beautiful. I want to talk to you about the idea of rest as well, because I think so many Mm -hmm. people were focused on the idea of like, quote unquote, the pivot. But you're bringing up this idea of rest, and I want to hear Mm. more about that from you. I want to really dive in on it. Yeah, so as a Black girl, I learned very early that the only way I could be acknowledged or celebrated was to um, live a life where I'm dying. (laughs) Uh, You know, and that's just been throughout history. You know, being 15, taking care of my brother 
so much so that I almost didn't graduate high school. I had to graduate in the summer because I was missing so many days taking care of someone else's child. You know, so I grew up very, very fast and I was taught that's what I'm supposed to do. I was taught very young that, you know, my pain doesn't matter, that I was taught very young that if, you know, as a black woman, you have to be, you know, um, you have to make sure that you are an advocate and, and, you know, the good black person, you know, you have to make sure you're straight and narrow and you have to work very hard, not work smarter, not you know, not love what you do, but to just have that job, to just do this. And as a Black woman, you know, you need to be the strong friend. You know, you need to be the, you need to be everyone's, and I'm just going to say it, nanny or mammy, whether or not they realize it or not. You need to be the person everyone comes to when they need that financial support, when they need that spiritual support, that emotional support. But who's pouring into you? And so I said, oh, as a Black woman, the most revolutionary thing I can do while there's an uprising is sit down and let my white counterparts be at the front of the line this time. What I can do as an act of not just resilience, but resistance and to be a part of the evolution of my people and of the people of the world was also to focus on providing healing ceremonies for people who were protesting. So for me, it was just like a political statement to sit down. So I want to know, as the world opens up now, what are some of the things that you are really looking forward to in this new world that we're creating? You know, as a a person who has been called to teach, I, my first mind always goes to like what I want to see for the community as a whole and what I would love to see for my daughters and my one son. Um, what I would say <laughs> is that I'm, I'm wanting to see performers come back understanding their worth. You saw what it was like for people when they didn't have access to you, the artist, the producer, the creative, the visionary. Put some extra zeros or wait because baby, you've already seen that you can survive without breaking your back and having your fingers bleed for 50 cents at the end of the night. I think there's this idea that, oh, if I am not grabbing those nickels and dimes every day, then I'm not going to exist. Well, I I now have been through a year where I made ends meet somehow. And people, I I remember uh, Peppermint in particular, she was posting a lot about like, thank you for the exposure opportunities, but I've been exposed already and I want to be paid what I'm worth. And I think that I am in a fortunate position to be paid well for what I do. And one of the things I want to see is that everyone should be paid fairly for the work that they give. And if they're packing a house, then they should see some of that money. Yes. And uh, looking at the way nightlife and the world of performance functions, that is not happening where it should, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that performers will understand that you'll actually make more if you're not seeking validation for your existence through surrogates. And I'm also really hopeful that people will not abandon the online opportunities because another way that you can, you know, 
stop focusing on the nickel and dime shows is if you focus on um, generating income, you know, and having things like passive income, you know, multiple streams of income, which is another thing that I was focused on teaching people. So I'm hoping everyone will, you know, do their workshops, you know, and turn those to digital products, you know, have a membership program. It doesn't need to be through Patreon that takes a large cut, you know, like just focus on your own legacy. So that's what I'm hopeful for. Okay, so this is what I want to do. I want to talk about some of your mentorship, but first mm. I want to dive into your life a little bit. Okay. My my favorite part of this podcast is when we get to rewind a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about an incredible woman's story from the very beginning. So I was wondering, what were you like growing up? And when did you <sighs> first know that you wanted to be a performer? Because as you've already told us, you were already you hit the ground running. You were an adult, very young. And yeah. so when did you find that that space where you're like, I want to be a performer? It happened for me very, very young. I remember moving from Dallas to go to Upland, California around three or four. And I remember my mom taking me to Venice Beach. The, two crazy things happened. One the ocean took me in. When I say it took me in, um, I've now talked to a few spiritualists and they're like, oh, that's because you're a water goddess and the yeah. water, you're a water priestess. And so the water deities took you in. So you're self-initiated. So when I was very young, I was just like, oh, look at the water. <laughs> and yeah. all I remember is waking up covered in seaweed and sand. Yeah. And so that happened at Venice Beach. And also I remember, and now I know it was a bar, but at the time I didn't know that. I remember being very young, dancing on a table, honey. And my (laughs) (laughs) just dancing on a table. And again, now I realize, bitch, you were in a bar. So I was in the bar with my mom. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Dancing my little tail off. And then we were walking down the, you know, the boardwalk or whatever it's called. And mm-hmm. there was a break dancer and I was like, I can do that. And I was like, I'm going to dance right here. And he let me, I mean, these are very vivid memories. And so I was just yeah. dancing on that cardboard. I don't know what I was doing, but right. got taken in by the water, dancing on top of a table, dancing on a cardboard. So for me, <laughs> it was very, very young. And yeah. I did experience a lot of trauma growing up. My mom was always in an abusive relationship. I always had to fight the guys with pans or something. So what I would do after watching them beat her up was I would go sneak out at like two in the morning to go talk to the moon and dance Yeah, with the moon. So for me, performing and dancing was always my religion. I think it's so interesting. I think we'll, we'll talk about misconceptions a little bit later, but I think one of the misconceptions about burlesque is that it's just an entertainment Mm -hmm. or just an erotic entertainment and for you, it's about much more than that. It's it's almost, it, well, I mean, it is about healing, right? It is. It, it, it absolutely is. Everything that I do, everything, every post on Instagram, when I raise my arm, I'm not just, you know, raising my arms when I'm dancing or teaching. I'm, I'm using that movement as a, um, 
as, as a way to heal myself from old wounds. So for instance, instance, when I do raise my hand, I always say to myself, I love my beautiful brown skin because growing up, I was told I was ugly because of it. I was, you know, the kids would bark at me. You know, I didn't pass the, the you know, brown paper bag test. And so I teach people, it's like, when you move, let that be a moving affirmation. Let that be your mantra. Instead of saying five, six, seven, eight, put out a mantra to the world, yeah. you know, and that way you can have this deeper connection with the audience. And burlesque became a way for me to heal because I was able to do things like create a boudoir act and control yeah. the narrative in a boudoir yeah. versus, you know, being sexually assaulted at a young age you know, yeah. by family members, you know, or the, the uncle, you know, down the street. So yeah, for me, burlesque became my way of healing and became my spirituality because I grew up poor. I grew up with a lot of trauma dealing with my body in particular, you know, like I said, through assault or just being told that I was ugly. So things like burlesque, being in control of my sensual energy, being in control of the narrative about what happens with my body and also experiencing body positivity. But for me, body positivity didn't start with liking the curves. It started with liking the color. I, I noticed that you have a diverse family and yeah. yes. you're not attracted to a particular kind of person. Mm-hmm. You seem to be attracted to people that create beauty no matter what they look like and can you talk about that a little bit like the creation of beauty oh my god I'm I'm blessing I'm blessing um I love that you know these things about me thank you so much um, for taking the time to see me one of the things that I'm honored to say is that I am not interested in being a big fish in a small pond Mm -hmm. I want to be a big fish in the ocean swimming amongst the whales. Yeah. And so for me, I cannot even deal with anything but excellence. And I think that's just because I made that decision at a young age. I said to myself, when I become an adult, I will control the narrative. And I always want beauty around me, be it through people or things or experiences. And so I, yeah, I'm attracted to people who have a high vibration. Um, I'm, I'm attracted to people who understand that performing is truly a gift and that they are people who also believe that there's a spirituality to being a creative. I believe that creatives are the closest to God, especially people who paint because we're, we're living in a painting. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we're living in a painting a moving and thriving painting I know I sound probably strange but it is what it is um and and so I I just I need to be around people who have beautiful energy and what I discovered about myself recently with one of my daughters busy LeBron I was like oh my god I need to be around people who I see as a muse even though you're mentoring them Yes, they so all of my daughters in my mind should and could surpass me. Right. I believe all of them are better than me in some capacity. And all of them are responsible for the woman you see and the teacher. They all have shown me who I am and they've all brought out the best in me as a person. 
so yeah, like my daughters are responsible for my spiritual evolution. They're responsible for my healing. They're responsible for my power. They are absolutely responsible. I know so many people that are involved in burlesque because mm-hmm. either because you have mentored them directly or because mm-hmm. they've seen your performances and no matter who they were, they felt that your performances gave them permission oh. to to do burlesque. And, uh, you know, some <sighs> of them you, you probably know and some of them you probably don't know. But mm-hmm. I want to know about that path. Can you talk about mm-hmm. when you were first starting uh, burlesque in New York and what that looked like for you. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, for our listeners, mm-hmm. if there's a listener out there who's like, I don't know how to begin mm-hmm. with my burlesque career. Like what, what's your story there? Ooh, so hurricane Katrina happened and I was homeless and I was already dabbling in burlesque in New Orleans. But after Katrina, when you, when you see your home in the middle of the street, And it looks like you're on the set of Wizard of Oz. Like my house was in the middle of the street and crushed in. And so, you know, I was homeless. And this was like the second or third time I was homeless. And I just said, I need to just go for it. And I was in an abusive relationship at the time. And so when I went to Red Cross, they were like, well, where do you want to go? We have money to give you, you know, a ticket. And we can put you in a hotel for, you know, like a month. And I just was like, oh, I have family in New York. I had no one here. (laughs) (laughs) but I was like here is an opportunity I can look at it as oh my god I'm homeless or oh my god here's an opportunity to start over yeah and so I said I'm going to New York I came to New York and what I did and this is what anyone should do first of all I thought about what type of performer I wanted to be in New York so I kind of researched and you know looked at the producers and the venues And then I just started emailing people. So one thing, one mistake. So anyone who's starting out, one mistake newbies make and these headliners. And I teach a lot of headliners. The mistake people make is they sit and wait on someone else to secure their legacy. And that's a mindset and self-esteem issue and an ego issue. So for me, I would send a minimum of 50 inquiries a day with a little snippet, a little video, here's what she can do. You want me in your show or not? (laughs) Are we collaborating or not? (laughs) So Pearl, are you telling me that even though I've worked hard for a long time, I still have to work hard? Yes, that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying. (laughs) End of interview. I'm not interested. (laughs) I'm so sorry to be the one to break the news. And you know, it's, you know, until you, here's what I'll say. This is what I say all the time. Until you get an agent, and a benefactor, you yeah. have to play those roles, people. <laughs> Where's your benefactor or paramour, darling? You don't oh, have them? Well, bitch, to get to me. stepping. Yeah, oh, yeah let's get it going. Let's get it going. So anyone, that's the best advice I can give you is not to wait on someone else to tell you that you're great. Go ahead yeah. and put yourself out there and make sure that you use your social media as a place to, um, you know, use social media as your place to have your commercials, you know, think of your posts as commercials, think of it as a portfolio, you know, show your work there. Think about the 
think about generating income and building a community yeah. instead of trauma bonding. A lot of people use social media who are creatives as a source of trauma bonding. And then they're like, well, I didn't get any gigs this right. month. Right, girl. All you did was trauma bond, boo. Trauma bond. That's how Caitlin and I met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and, you know, hey. <laughs> it has its place. It has its place. But when you are talking about actually performing utilize all of these free resources wisely. Okay, Pearl, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to keep talking about that right after this. Okay, we're back. So there's the phrase, you are no stranger to hard work. And I think that applies to you. Mm -hmm. What fascinated me as I was reading interviews about you is that you make burlesque look so easy and yet you will practice a number you said for months before it's stage ready and in my mind you pick a song and walk on the stage and give us (laughs) so can you talk about that that process because you make it seem fresh but it's been gestating with you for a long time absolutely and and I I guess I just I want to take my time. And that's a lot of people's problem. See, I like a gumbo experience. And a lot of people, wow. and the other folks want McDonald's. They want that pink slime. And I'm like, bitch, I've had that McDonald's. And sometimes she will do. But what about that gumbo, honey? Wow. What about that gumbo? So it's like, I want to take my time to truly connect to the music. Let's have a spiritual experience by ourselves with this music. Okay, now let's talk about this costume. How are we feeling in her? What can we do? Let's create four to five versions of this act so that it can fit anywhere. Let's have that club version where you just fucking, hey, you just wing it. Let's have the one with the big band. Let's have the one that's 12 minutes, the one that's three minutes. That way you're not sitting here dumbfounded when you arrive to the venue and the stage is the size of a Tic Tac. And now you don't, <laughs> you don't know what to do because you haven't connected to the song. You don't know how to just dance freely with the song because you haven't done that on your own. You don't know how to just connect to yourself when you see one person in the audience. So now you're upset. You don't know what to do, baby. You don't know who that one guy is or that one person is, that one lady is. That might be your benefactor. Honey, you better shake a tail feather. Yeah. <laughs> That's so. I, I don't, okay, so there's so many things that I want to respond to here, and I I can respond to in the world of drag. First mm-hmm. of all, that that gumbo comment, um, mm-hmm. I think it applies not only to each number that you do, but to your career. Mm-hmm. And some people want a fast food career. I, I think as burlesquers or as drag queens, they're like, I saw a drag queen. I went home. I got the eyelashes. I'm ready. To- <laughs> star I'm ready. I'm ready to be a star and you want it and and the thing is that some people do make it that way but yeah. you if you should give yourself the luxury of marinating for a long time mm-hmm. in your craft so that when you do get to that mega stage or to that mm-hmm. tic-tac stage <laughs> you know who you are so yes. it doesn't matter yeah. I feel like if you don't give yourself that marination time, you will be surprised by things and you will be thrown off guard because you don't know quite who you are. I want to respond to the 50 emails comment. I have found that drag queens mm-hmm. that didn't have as much talent 
as some mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. that wrote the emails to me when yeah. I had shows with guest spots and yeah. worked their butt off yep. ended up going much farther than the drag queens with like say a natural talent where they just it, it just came easy to them. Do you know what I mean? I do. Like that work, you see, you see a little scraggly drag queen that's brand new <laughs> and they really, they're really hungry for it. And they have been emailing everybody. They're showing up at every drag queen's show. They're doing the competitions. They are giving themselves that marination time. Like they look like they're behind, but ultimately they come up ahead because of that Absolutely. work. Absolutely. It, it's very important to when you go out to look the part the part that you're trying to play in this world and I mean to the bodega because again you don't know who's watching it's important that you're actually utilizing your social media that you're actually being sociable that you're likable damn it yeah let's start there first of all just be likable (laughs) yeah be likable and and understand that when you're thinking about everything coming quickly, you know, thinking about that fast food, and we all know that fast food doesn't fill you up. Right. You're hungry in 30 minutes or an hour. So, you know, just really think about what I try to encourage everyone to do. It's like these kind of practices are important because you, if you don't focus on self-advocacy and like really honing your craft and falling in love with yourself while you're doing your craft, you run the risk of your own erasure. Right. Right. You really do. The it's about longevity. Yes. I, I want people to think about longevity, not this instant gratification that that doesn't actually nourish you. I was I mean, reading, you know? I was reading a book about trees this weekend, Caitlin. Yes. And I read that trees that grow up in the shade of their parents, Mm. they don't get as much light, so they grow more slowly. And trees Mm. do that on purpose. They shade their children, protect them from the light on purpose, so that their their children, their seedlings will grow very slowly. And that slow growth Mm. is healthy growth. And if you have a tree that grows very quickly, they tend to be thin and brittle because they shot up too fast. Oh, yes. And Come on. So for the, the baby tree, all the baby tree is thinking about is, I want to go straight to the light as fast as I possibly can. But the parent trees purposely mm. shelter and shade their own children so that they'll grow at the right rate. And I think yes. I was like, that stuck in my mind is such a beautiful thing. And I think that's what you're talking about is like, as a mentor, encouraging that slow growth because it's a healthier growth. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, definitely, you know, while you're growing, get those gigs if you want, but make sure you have another source of income. Yeah. You know, be it being an affiliate, you know, Mm -hmm. you're monetizing your Instagram or your YouTube, you know, you're offering lectures and workshops that you can turn to digital downloads, you know, just something to where you're not desperate to be seen. I mean, a lot of people are saying yes to gigs just to be seen. And it's like, but what are you getting out of it? Is it even paying? Is it even paying, honey? Are you actually making money? So, so you, these are all things that you teach and they're so important. And I want to know about the history of your family, the house of noir, uh, a family of burlesquers that you have reared. 
And I like, how did, what was that first spark in your mind that said, I'm going to build a family? So thank goodness for gay men, because gay men were the ones who told me I was beautiful and special. And so, um, and I came out as bisexual and was shunned from my family at 19. Um, So when that, when I was shunned, um, I started going to like gay bars and learned more and more about the ball culture and definitely watching Paris is burning really inspired me. Like I love the family dynamic because I didn't really have a family, a traditional one, I should say. And I fell in love with Willie Ninja. And I was like, Oh my God, I want to create a burlesque version of a house. Yeah. And so that was the inspiration behind the house of noir. I wanted to do what Willie Ninja did, which was like create this family, but not just a family of support and community, but he was dead set on creating opportunities for them and creating a legacy, not just for his children and himself, but for Vogue in general. And I want to create this vast legacy for myself, for my children and for burlesque period. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's, that's the inspiration. Willie Ninja. Um, and Paris is burning and gay men who have cared for me. I want to say something to all the gay men that are listening. I think there is a very big tendency um, in gay bars for us to not be welcoming yes, to women. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's something that we should hang our heads about. But I do want to say, look, we have this moment of pride. There are mm-hmm. people that we have welcomed women and yeah. and beyond that we have welcomed and let's lean into that because look yeah. what it helped create for Pearl Noir. If we can be creative and loving, mm-hmm. we can help build wonderful things. So let's try to, yeah, let's try to lean yes. into that tendency that we have um, <laughs> instead yeah. of the other. Yeah. I mean, I would not, there would not be a Pearl Noir without gay men, without gay men I had never been called beautiful until it was by gay men. I had never been accepted for my power and my light. What are some of the life lessons that you've mm-hmm. learned from burlesque? Like what are some, I, for, for me, for example, like uh, wig making has taught me a lot about life because when you take a wig out of the bag, you mm-hmm. have to mess it up a lot yes. first before it becomes a fluffy, beautiful creation and so I kind of learned that if in life you have to make a mess first before you create perfection. And I wonder if there were like little lessons like that hidden in burlesque that uh, you've carried over into your life. I think so. One of the things for me, um, you know, when we think about burlesque performers and anytime I'm interviewed, I'm sure this happens for you as a drag queen. Um, a lot of times people ask me about the persona of Pearl Noir, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. I say, you know, hey, I, you know, I don't really have a persona. This is right. how I live my day. And so burlesque taught me that you actually don't have to have a persona. You can, and you don't have to let anyone or anything dictate the narrative. Right. So when you're creating an act, when you're performing, you're in control of the narrative. You're in control of the experience. Yeah. Um, and that to me is a beautiful lesson because a lot of times we really believe, you know, I, I wasn't supposed to be anything other than a crackhead. That's who I grew up around. Crackheads came to my birthday parties, not children. 
you know, yeah. except like sometimes my cousins, I didn't have friends. Yeah. So that's all I saw around me. That was the only thing I thought I could be, you know, or, or not me, other people thought I, yeah. I always believed in myself. And yeah. so burlesque has taught me that you actually don't have to consider yourself as a person with the persona. You can consider that you have come home to yourself within your body and within your purpose and your artistry. That's what is, I've been trying to put my finger on that for years, because when people ask me, like, how did you create your drag character? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know if it's a character. It's when I'm in drag, I'm very focused on being the best me I possibly can be mm-hmm. and creating a narrative where I'm the best side of myself. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not a character. It's like I'm telling a new story. Mm-hmm. And I think my expectation for myself, because I had a very rough time in my 20s, was that I wouldn't live to this age and that <sighs> I would end up overdosing on something on alcohol or Mm -hmm. getting myself in a dangerous situation. And when Cracker came along, it became this opportunity to write a different story. And, and so I learned that you can write your own story. Like you're saying, you don't Mm -hmm. have to listen to what other people expect of you or what seems likely, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can can make your own story. And so that's, yeah, I'm taking that now. Like Cracker is not a a character. She's my, she's my own story. Absolutely. Um, I I think it's one of the most powerful lessons. Yeah. What are some of the big misconceptions that people have about burlesque? You know, you're at dinner with people. They're like, what do you do? And you say burlesque (laughs) and they're like, oh, well, isn't that this or that? You know, like what are people, Mm. what are their biggest misconceptions? I would say the biggest misconception between people who don't do burlesque and people who do burlesque. So like Mm -hmm. people who are performing, people who want to hire burlesque or people who are inspired by by burlesque. I would say the thing I want to debunk is that burlesque is an art form that doesn't deserve proper financial gain and independence. <laughs> that is that burlesque is cheap. That yeah. I want this person to arrive in a $1,000 or more gown, but I want to pay them two yes. beans and a piece of corn. Yeah. Okay, just one, just one kernel, the one. Yeah. Okay, she don't have no cream, she ain't got no seasoning. She just <laughs> one kernel. And there are so many people in burlesque who are like, well, you know, there's no money in burlesque. And I'm like, I need you all to stop saying that. And I need you to stop lying. I myself have made six figures more than once as a burlesque performer. I plan to continue to do that more consistently and to show anyone who's willing to learn how to do the same. So there are many, but that one is the one that upsets me the most is that burlesque performers should not and cannot make a living when we... You know, I I feel just like ball culture influences the world and like pop stars and all the art that we see. Well, we see a lot of burlesque too. We see a lot of burlesque out here on our TV screens, you Mm -hmm. know? And so that's, there are many, like I said, but that's the one (laughs) that I'm very passionate about. And kind of going hand in hand with that, I just want to say that burlesque, dancers, burlesque performers, their job is to make what they do look very easy and relaxing because that's, you're supposed to be relaxed as an audience member, you're supposed to be taken in. 
It's mm -hmm. not easy. If you ever want to watch a burlesque <laughs> act and then try it yourself, it is <laughs> takes an insane amount of skill. And yeah. so thank you for saying that. Burlesque performers deserve to be paid, not just for the gown, but for those hours, those yes. like countless hours of living inside of a performance. Mm -hmm. um, so absolutely. Yeah, I will. I will definitely second you on that one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So here's my here's my last question that I want to okay. ask you. Um, what's your next big dream for the House mm. of Noir? I know you were saying as the world opens up, you want people to change their attitudes towards performing and to d demand what they deserve. Are there projects that you want to tell people about that our audience can support? Yes. So here's what I'll say in regards to like my big dream for the house of noir. So I made history right like two days before the shutdown in New York, um, by creating the noir pageant, which is an extension of the house of noir's legacy, the noir pageant. Um, I made history because unfortunately there hasn't been any other burlesque pageant that is strictly focused on providing healing opportunities and creating more headliners and creating right. more royals who are people of color in burlesque. So I was able to do that a few days before they shut the city down. And so <laughs> what I am focused on right now with the house, um, I'm focused on creating space to have the noir pageant happen next year. I'd love for it to happen in a big space like the Apollo Theater. I'd love yep. to have a documentary come out of it. And what I really want to do is to bring the burlesque pageant that I'm curating with the House of Noir to mainstream. I'd love to have the competition being featured on like a Netflix documentary yeah. Or HBO Max, like, you know, how they have Legendary. I'd love to see the noir pageant on HBO Max in that same kind of format. So for me, my one of the biggest dreams would be to almost have a burlesque version of RuPaul's Drag Race, which RuPaul is one of my idols and inspirations because, yeah. you know, of what he, he did as an entrepreneur and what she did as a drag queen. Yeah. Um, and so that's... That's something that I'm working on, just bringing burlesque and BIPOC burlesque in particular to the masses and bringing the House of Noir to the masses because we focus on using burlesque as a as a healing mechanism. And and we focus on being divine beings and showing other people that they can be divine through burlesque as well. So those are the things that I'm working on. Yeah. And in regards to if anyone wants to support right now, the Noir Pageant um, does have a group mentorship program. So if you know anyone who wants to get started in burlesque, please head to the noirhalloffame.com. Check out our Abundance is Your Birthright group mentorship program. I have to tell you, it's been so great to <laughs> talk to you in this interview. You've, uh, you're one of our like most energizing <laughs> interview for sure. Oh, yay! Yeah. Thank you. I'm so, 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 so very excited. And I, I'm hopeful that we can collaborate more and more and more. Oh, try and stop me. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Craitlin, that was our interview for today. That was a great one. That was a really good one. I feel inspired, you know what I mean? It was like, I don't know how to quite describe it, but you know when you, sometimes you read a book and it takes like 50 pages to get into it. Yeah. You're like, okay, now I'm into it. And sometimes it's like the first line is like, it was a dark and stormy night. You're and hooked. you're like, you're yeah, like, yeah. like, what's happening? I felt like the first words of her interview, I just was like so hooked on it. And it kept going at that pace. So Yeah. It makes me like just wish that I woke up every morning with her brain and her mindset. Yeah. The way she looked at the world. And you know what? I'm just like, I feel so inspired by that especially in quarantine where like listen as I said earlier I'm honest and in quarantine I fell apart and I just if I had her ability to say like look I'm gonna rest and also be grateful and continue doing what I can and not do what I can't do and it doesn't like judge herself or anyone else harshly for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I thought that was really, truly And And I liked what she said about how people expect burlesque performers to show up in, like, $1,000 outfits and then pay them pennies. Because I feel like that's true in the drag world, too, and and in the stand-up world and in the theater world. You know what I mean? It's it's just like... Pay your entertainers. I was expecting this like more philosophical answer to like what's the biggest misconception about burlesque, but she's like that I shouldn't be paid. Right, and right. I was like, you know honestly, what? Honestly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like so, when you get right down to it, yeah. that is just the truth. Oh you know? my goodness, especially with some of the shows that burlesque performers put on. So just, glamorous, yeah. yeah. And they're expected to do it for nothing. So anyway, loved that interview. Find and support Pearl yeah, Noir. she's amazing. If you have an opportunity to see her in New York and uh, all over the place. She's all over the world. Okay, so before we close out, I want to say this again. If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We <laughs> love reviews. In fact, we love them so much. We're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. Caitlin, do you have a favorite review this week? I do, and we're so excited to have some new reviews in. So, you know, keep giving us that. Really made my day to open this and see these. Um, This user, Blueberry Very Blue, which Mm. I appreciate that username. She's the Terry Gross of drag. Yay! (laughs) I've always liked Miss Cracker since her season of RPDR, but I really love her and respect her since I discovered this show. I'm sure she does a ton of research before each interview, but she's a true natural at the mic. You can tell that she is genuinely interested in her guests and cares about each of them. Each episode is very inspiring, entertaining, and empowering, and I learn new things every time I listen. Love you, Cracker and Caitlin. Oh my goodness. That's a nice one. That's a really good one. That's a really good one. And that is what you really inspire to be. Yeah. You love Terry Gross. I love Terry Gross. If anyone knows Terry Gross, you want her on the podcast. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Tell her to call us. You see, well, we have to do that when we send our 50 emails today, Caitlin. I did. I've, I think I've, e- I couldn't find a contact email from her. From yeah. Anywhere. Anyway, yeah. I think well, she gets yeah. stalked all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I think that. It's true. I am inspired by every single guest that we have because we work hard to find guests that really, truly inspire us. And yeah. And honestly, everyone, like everyone is inspiring in their own. Everyone has some part of their story that's inspiring. Yeah. Even probably 
our listeners we don't know anything about. I bet they have some inspiring, inspiring stories. stories. Yeah. yeah. It's like you can be charismatic or shy or successful or just starting out, but everyone has a story. And damn it, that's what we wanted this podcast to be about. Yeah. So. Good job. All right, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, okay? Your it's time. Part. Yeah, my favorite part of the show. <laughs> Even though we just I- interviewed an incredible were, personality, like a global reason, sensation. This is uh, your favorite part. <laughs> my favorite part of the show. It's time for the credits. This podcast was inspired by... <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, and it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, She's! Oh, I forgot. All you have to do is look in the mirror and say, she's a woman, and I'll be with you. Are you going to keep that in there? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> she's a woman. Oh, that was good stuff. I was looking for a review, and then I got distracted, and I realized you didn't even ask me for a review, so then I got even more confused and distracted. Oh, when is going to be a doozy to edit? Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.